We're continuing our study tonight in Matthew chapter 6, really beginning Matthew chapter 6, continuing our study in, on the Sermon on the Mount. As Jesus preached this message here uh, in part of, as part of His ministry, many people were gathered to hear Him preach. Jesus was dealing with a lot of the sins of the Pharisees and the scribes, those who held themselves up to be very religious people. And we understand that Walking with Jesus is not just a religion, it's a relationship. It is personal with Him. And oftentimes in, in life we can get caught up when we think of church as thinking it of just a religious experience or putting on certain clothes or certain attitudes or putting on a, a happy face. And yet a relationship with Jesus is something that affects everything about us. In the same way, if you're married, you know that you may have had a formal wedding ceremony where you put on fancy clothes and you said formal, made formal promises one to another, but a marriage is so much more than just a wedding. It is a day in, day out. You see them at their best and at their worst. You see them in the good times and the bad times. And those promises that we make one to another for better, for worse, sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, that speaks to the idea that it is a relationship that you're entering into. And a relationship with Jesus is just the same. And so in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus begins dealing with some of the outward illustrations of a walk with Him. And He speaks against some of the outward show that sometimes accompanies religion and he talks about rather how we ought to behave ourselves in a right way before God and others. We looked over the last number of weeks at the second section of Matthew chapter 5, which focuses on what we believe and the inner moral righteousness. And we looked at six different illustrations of this righteousness as he talked about murder and how we ought not to even think evil towards somebody else, that even our thoughts towards others in, in hatred and anger towards others could be related to the physical act of murder. He talked about adultery and how even our mind towards lust towards another person, our sin in the same way that actually committing the physical act is sin. We talked about divorce and how God holds marriage in high regard. We talked about making promises or taking oaths that we shouldn't just swear based on God or anything else, that rather what we, when we say yes, it ought to mean yes, and when we say no, it ought to mean no. We talked about the fact that it is not our job to take revenge. God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Even though we may inside feel like, oh, I want to get them back for what they did to me. They hurt me, I will hurt them back. That's not the Christian response. Rather, we are to respond in humility. And he said, even to turn the other cheek. And then the final um, representative illustration of inner moral uh, righteousness that we looked at is that of love. That we ought to love God with our, all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Here in Matthew chapter 6, not, we're not just focusing on what we believe, but now what we do with what we believe. What we do with what we believe. It's one thing to say, I believe something's true. It's another thing to say, well, this is how that belief is changing my actions. 
I think anybody that would say they believe something but doesn't follow up that belief with real action, we would call that person a hypocrite. And over the next three weeks, Lord willing, assuming uh, things don't change incredibly, which they could, we know how crazy our world is, we're going to be looking at three different areas that Jesus focuses on in, the, in, in how we live our life. And He speaks about our giving, about our praying, and about our fasting. Or you could think of it this way, religion as it relates to others, our giving, religion as it relates to God, our prayers, and religion as it relates to ourselves, our fasting. So tonight, let's look at this first one. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4 of chapter 6. This idea of giving without hypocrisy. Giving without hypocrisy. Let me read to you, and you follow along. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. He says, Take heed, beware, be careful, watch out. That's what he's saying here. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, he says, ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. So if they're doing it to be seen, well, they got what they wanted. Everybody noticed. Wow, look at them. Look at their large gift that they gave. Instead, he says in verse 3, But when thou doest alms, when you give money, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. First thing I want us to look at tonight is the danger of false righteousness. The danger of false righteousness. Verse 1 really is, I would say, the theme verse for these three sections. And we'll look at the first one tonight, the danger of giving without hypocrisy, the danger of giving with hypocrisy. Next week, we'll look at prayer. And the week after that, Lord willing, we'll look at fasting. But this idea of the danger of false righteousness. He gives us a warning here in verse 1. He says, take heed, be careful, watch out. What are we supposed to beware of? He says that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Jesus denounced the choices of the Pharisees because their religion was mostly an act. It was a show. This mocked God's true revealed way for His people. Now, the Pharisees in the New Testaments were not the original hypocrites. They weren't the first ones or the last ones for that matter. You can go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis and find the first hypocrite. His name was Cain. A man who brought an offering to God, showing that he was trying to worship God, but he didn't bring the offering that God told him to bring. And when God revealed, unmasked his hypocrisy, 
How did Cain respond? He got angry and he killed his brother, Abel. We see hypocrisy in Absalom, the son of King David, who he pretended to make an allegiance with his father David, while at the same time he plotted his overthrow. 2 Samuel 15, 7-10, we can see that. I'm sure you, can all, uh, you all know the story of Judas Iscariot, who was a hypocrite, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, who then betrayed Christ with a kiss. In the book of Acts, chapter 4, I believe it is, 5, we read the story of Ananias and Sapphira, who showed to the church or told the church that they were giving all the money that they had received for the sale of a piece of property. But the Holy Spirit called out their lying. He said, you've not really given all. Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? And because of this, God killed them. Hypocrites are found in the church, but they're also found outside of the church. Hypocrites are found in Christianity, but they're also found outside of Christianity. The world is full of hypocrites. In fact, Paul wrote to Timothy in the end, and he said, at the end of the age, there will be lots and lots of hypocrites. He said in 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of evils, doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy and having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Hypocrisy is part of the fleshly nature that every person has. Now, there's one thing that we've seen throughout history that is tended to root out hypocrisy in the church, and that is persecution. Because those who are just putting on a show and putting on an act generally don't stick around when the going gets tough. But even in times of great persecution, it doesn't completely eliminate the issue of hypocrisy. And God has always been serious about His treatment of hypocrites. It's not just a New Testament thing. This is something that took place in the Old Testament as well. In Amos chapter 5, verses 21 to 24, God says, I hate I despise your feast days, and I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Why? Why does God not accept what He had commanded His people to do? He says, Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy vials, but let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. Why would he not receive their burnt offerings? Because they were just a show, an act. They were not done out of a pure heart before God. See, every religious act that God prescribed for us to do, if it's performed insincerely and not accompanied by righteous living, then it's not acceptable to God. That's why he says in Matthew 6, 1, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. 
You can be the most religious and outwardly righteous person that there is. But if you're doing those religious things just to be seen of others, then it is no real righteousness before God. There's the famous statement that Samuel made to King Saul in 1 Samuel 15, 22, when he said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? For behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Isaiah wrote to the children of Israel in Isaiah 1 and verse 11, he said, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. He said a little later on in verses 13 to 15, Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are trouble to me. I am weary to bear them. And when you spread forth ye, your hands, I will not. I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. And he said in verse 16, wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Over and over in the Word of God, God calls out this issue of hypocrisy. He's not saying that the people are not to be living in a righteous way. He's not saying they should stop their sacrificing in the Old Testament. He's not saying that they should cease from holy living. But rather what He's saying is if your life is just a show, if it's just an act, if it's just... A, a, something to make other people think that you're living right, but your heart is wrong. He said, all of that outward show, it's worthless. It's worthless. And he said he hates it. Because you see, hypocrisy is one of the great tools that the devil uses to undermine the power of God's Word and God's people as they try to carry out God's work in the world. Because all it takes is one person who's pretending to be spiritual and making it look like it's right, and yet they're carrying on some sin underneath. And when that sin gets uncovered, everybody says, See, I knew it was all fake, I knew it was all phony, and they turn away. And we see this all the time in all kinds of different religions and groups and organizations. And yes, that's a danger that could even happen here. None of us is exempt from the struggle and the consequences of sin. We must live our life not to be seen of men, but rather to glorify God. Not for the show, so that other people pat you on the back and say, wow, he's a good guy. No, so that we would be able to stand before God one day and hear Him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. 
Micah the prophet in chapter 6, verse 6 through 8, he said, Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Then Micah says this in chapter 6, verse 8, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? God's not interested in your show of righteousness because God sees your heart. God knows that those who put on an outward show without an, a real inward attitude of service and humility before the Lord are actually doing great harm to the cause of Christ. There's a danger of false righteousness. How many of you have ever heard of Aesop and his fables? You've probably heard of him. And uh, Aesop wrote a whole number of, of different fables, and he has one. He tells the story of a wolf who put on some sheep's clothing, so, uh, a skin, and he snuck in with the rest of the flock into the fold at night, hoping that while he was in there with the sheep, that in the dark when the sheep weren't really paying attention, he'd be able to capture and eat a lot of sheep. Only unbeknownst to the wolf, that night the shepherd decided he wanted to have some mutton for dinner. And so the shepherd went out to the sheepfold and he found the biggest, fattest sheep that he could and killed it and carried it into his house, only to discover that he had killed the wolf. You see, the wolf, pretending to be a sheep, had found himself killed just like the animal he was pretending to be. What the shepherd did inadvertently to a wolf in sheep's clothing, God does intentionally. God judges hypocrisy. Jesus, in His words in the New Testament, He compared hypocrisy to leaven, like yeast that, that leavens a, a lump of bread in Luke 12 and verse 1. He compares it to whitewashed tombs in Matthew 23, 27. He compares it to concealed Tombs in Luke eleven forty four to tares or weeds that get mixed in with the wheat in Matthew thirteen twenty six and Jesus himself compared it to wolves in sheep's clothing in Matthew seven and verse fifteen. Did you know in the New Testament time and still in some cultures this is true today? There are people who are paid to be professional mourners, those who will be paid to go to a funeral or other event where people are crying out in sadness and they'll tear their clothes and they'll cry out. But it's not because they really care about the deceased. It's because they were paid to be there. And some of the ancient Jewish writings say that some of those professional mourners would be careful to tear their clothing along the seams. It was before Velcro. So that they could sew their clothing back together to be ready to be used at the next event that they were paid to mourn for. You see, those professional mourners were hypocrites, but so were the people that were paying the professional mourners to come to those events because it wasn't really out of sadness. Rather, it was for a show to others. This is why in Matthew 6.1, Jesus gives us 
an extremely strong warning about hypocrisy. He says, take heed that you do not your alms before men. This phrase where it says, to be seen of them in Matthew 6.1, the word that's used in that in the Greek is where we get our English word theater or to put on a show, to be seen of them. And that's what he's saying. Don't do your works just because you think you're on stage in a theater. It's not just because people are showing up to watch you. That's not the right reason. He says those who live to be seen of others... They have their reward. False righteousness does have a reward. But the reward is the recognition and applause of men. But that's also the limit of that reward. There's no reward from God in heaven. God does not reward men-pleasers because men-pleasers rob God of His glory. Jesus said in Matthew 5.16 that we looked at a number of weeks ago now, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and not glorify you. No, he says that they may glorify your Father which is in heaven. We see the danger of false righteousness. Look though, if you will with me at verse number 2, as we look at the practice and reward of false giving. The practice and reward of false giving. Do you know where the word hypocrite comes from, by the way? It is uh, from the Greek. The Greek actors who would wear masks on the stage were called hypocrites. That was, it wasn't a derogatory term. That was just what they were called. Somebody who uh, acted on stage was known as a hypocrite because they wore a mask. And so as you think about this idea of hypocrisy or someone behaving hypocritically, it is somebody who is portraying themselves as one thing, like wearing a mask, but really when they take that mask off, there's somebody else entirely. And I think as we think about this idea of hypocrisy, really it demonstrates itself in two different ways within the church. One of those is non-believers who masquerade as Christians, those who really are not trusting in Christ as their Savior, but they sure want everybody to think that they are. And that's a danger. The second kind of hypocrisy that we see in the church is believers who are sinful but are pretending to be spiritual. Believers who are sinful but pretending to be spiritual. Let's look at verse 2 together. It says, Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, and alms are just any sort of charitable giving, often finances, money. He says, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites, there's our word, do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. One thing I want you to notice about the giving that is talked about here, he says in, in, verse, three, in verse, um, verse 2, and he also repeats it in verse 3, that he says, when thou doest thine alms. He doesn't say, if thou doest thine alms. And I, I want to point out that giving is not optional. Giving is commanded. It's something that we 
ought to do. So he's not saying, well, don't be a hypocrite, therefore don't give. No, he says, when you give, it's understood that you should be giving. When you give, here's how you should give. I would say it this way, and I think I put this in your notes, letter A, sympathetic feeling for someone in need does not help them unless something is given to meet their need. Kind of like the scripture where he says that we're not supposed to just pat someone on the back and say, hey, be warmed and filled. Hey, I hope everything works out. No, if there's a need that you can meet, then the biblical understanding from passages where Jesus gives the example, like, for example, of the Good Samaritan, is that we ought to give to meet the need. So it's not just being sympathetic towards the needs of others, but rather giving something to meet the need. But I think the truth that we can see here from verse 2 is this, that giving money provides no spiritual blessing unless it is given from the heart. Unless it is given from the heart. There are many reasons that people might give, right? They might give for the tax deduction. They might give, as he points out here, to be seen of men. You could probably put tax deductions underneath seen of men, right? Just to be given to gain some sort of earthly reward. But there's no spiritual blessing in that kind of giving unless it is given from the heart. From the heart the practice and reward of false giving. It's very simple. If you give to be seen of others, there's no spiritual blessing. We live in a world where people give because they want to get their name on something. They want to get a certificate for something. They, they want to be able to tell others, well, I did that. This was me. This is what I did. I want you to see. If you're giving for that reason, you have your reward but there's no spiritual reward for that kind of giving. He's very clear here. He says they have their reward. Spiritual giving with the right heart, giving with the right attitude, is not looking forward to rewards on this earth so much as looking forward to the heavenly spiritual rewards that He promises us someday in heaven. Our giving should never be so that Others look at us well, or that we somehow gain some earthly blessing. Our giving is always so that God would reward us someday in heaven. So, we've seen the warning or the danger of false righteousness, the practice and reward of false giving. I want to spend the, uh, the last bit of our time here on number three in your notes, the practice and reward of true giving. The practice and reward of true giving. Jesus says in verse 3, But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Now, I want to make a point here because some would say, well, he talks about giving in secret. So does that mean nobody should ever see any good work that you ever do? Well, what about Matthew 5.16 that I quoted just a moment ago? Let your, you know, do, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So clearly he's not saying that a work is bad if someone else happens to see it. Rather, what he's saying is 
that if your intention is to be seen by others, then that intention is wrong. If someone does see what you're doing, that's okay. Just make sure that God is getting the glory and not you. Someone may even come up to you someday after you give or work or do something for someone else and say, thank you. If they say thank you, don't slap their hand and say, don't tell me thank you. I want God's rewards, not your rewards. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying if you do nice, something nice for someone else and maybe you make them a plate of cookies and, and they return the plate and they make you a plate of brownies, that you throw the brownies in their face and say, I don't want these brownies. I want God's rewards, not your rewards. That's not what he's saying, right? It's okay if other people do see the good works that are done, but that doesn't mean you should be doing things trying to get other people to see. Well, I sure hope they notice that I did that for them. I, I sure hope people know how much good I do around here. I sure hope people can see the blessing that I am to this place. That's the wrong attitude, and God says, you already have your reward if that's your attitude. So I just want to make that clear. Yes, we are to do our giving in secret. We're not to be pursuing the applause of men. But if somebody does see what you do and thank you for it, or, or there, there is some blessing that comes your way as a result of that, yes, deflect the praise to God, but you don't have to throw the cookies back in their face, okay? Let's move along. He says... Our focus, right, is our Father which is in heaven. Thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Our gift is given with the focus on our Heavenly Father. Letter A there in your, in your notes. Giving from the heart is investing with God. Giving from the heart is investing with with God. Somebody said it this way, the most satisfying giving is that which is done and forgotten. If you're making sure that the church or that some other person is keeping good account of your giving, then you have your reward. Let God be the accountant for what you give. Jesus said in Luke 6, 38, Give, and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down and shaken together, and running over shall men give into their bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, But, he, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly. So if you just plant a little bit of seed, he says, you shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. So you receive in measure to what you have given. The practice and reward of true giving. So I've already given you the first one, letter A, but I want to give you these seven principles about the right kind of giving, giving that comes from the heart and giving that is true giving towards God. The first one is we've already seen, giving from the heart is investing with God. The second one is this, that genuine giving is to be sacrificial. Is to be sacrificial. 
In 2 Samuel 24, 24, the king said unto Aruna, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. He says, I don't want to offer sacrifice to God and show that I love God on something that didn't cost me anything. It says, so David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. Our giving, genuine giving, ought to be sacrificial giving. Jesus speaks about this in Mark 12, verses 41 to 44. Jesus sat over against the treasure and beheld how much the people cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples and saith unto him, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow has cast can't say it right, hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Genuine giving is to be sacrificial. Letter C responsibility for giving has no relationship to how much a person has. Responsibility for giving has no relationship to how much a person has. And you say, what do you mean? Well, I'll say it this way. A person who is not generous when they are poor will not be generous, generous if they become rich. And you know this to be true. Some of the most generous people you know are poor people. Luke 16.10, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Responsibility for giving has no relationship to how much a person has. The fourth principle for giving out of the right heart towards God is this, that material giving correlates to spiritual blessing. Some people think, well, material giving doesn't matter at all. God just wants our heart. No, there is a correlation between material giving and spiritual blessing. Luke 16, 11 and 12 says, If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous man, and that's your physical finances, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? If you want to experience spiritual blessing, you need to be faithful with the financial blessing that God has given you. There are many who desire greater opportunities for leadership, greater opportunities for ministry even, but they're never able to because they don't handle their finances well. Material giving correlates to spiritual blessings. Another principle we can see from God's Word is that giving is to be personally determined. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, 
For God loveth a cheerful giver. Giving is between you and God as to determine the amount that you're supposed to give. But he gives us some good principles here, doesn't he? Don't do it grudgingly. Don't do it out of necessity. Oh, I have to give. If I don't give, God's going to take it from me one way or another. No. He says, God loveth a cheerful giver. Give cheerfully to the Lord. Letter F, give in response to need. Give in response to need. We've been looking at that as we've been studying through the book of Acts as the Christians in one city heard about the physical needs of believers in another city and so they took up a collection. They heard about the need and they gave towards that need to help those who were struggling financially. We are to give in response to need. And the seventh principle, letter G there, giving demonstrates love, not law. Giving demonstrates love, not law. You say, why do you say that? Well, look back at our text in verse number 1 of Matthew 6. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. He says in verse 3, But when thou doest, thine, doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Our giving ought to be out of response, a, a heart of love towards God for his love that he has shown toward us. In the Old Testament, we see the tithe as a principle for giving. We even see that as Jesus talked about bringing the tithes into the storehouses. But as you get into the New Testament later on in the epistles, all it says we're to give abundantly. We're to give in measure to how God has blessed us. So it seems as if for the believer... There's no cap to the amount that we can give. Rather, he says, no, give as much as you want. Give in response to how God has blessed you. Purpose in your own heart what you're going to give before the Lord. Don't give to be seen of men. Give to glorify your Father because He has been faithful to you. When I think about this in response to giving, I realize that the key is your heart. The inner attitudes that motivate what you do and why you do it. If you are focused on remembering exactly everything that you gave and that everybody who paid attention to what you gave, the principle we learned tonight is that God will forget. If you remember, God will forget, but if you forget, in other words, you give not for the purpose of remembering and letting others remember, God will remember. God will remember. The greatest reward any believer can have is the knowledge that he has pleased the Lord. That he's pleased the Lord. That's the most important reason any of us can give. Tonight, we've looked at the importance of giving without hypocrisy.
Next week, he moves on to the subject of prayer, that we are to pray without hypocrisy. You say, wow, this feels very close to home where we live. We give at church. We pray at church. Yes, Jesus is dealing with those religious things that are done. Not bad. They should be done. But he's telling the people, you need to make sure your heart's right. Remember, walking with Jesus, it's not just a religious practice of this is what I do. It's a relationship. And a relationship is something, it's not just about what I do, my actions. It's about my attitudes too, why I do them. God cares that our attitudes are right. God sees our attitudes. And you know as well as I do, when we do something but we're rolling our eyes when we do it, it's not doing it out of a genuine heart. Rather, it's a heart of hypocrisy. It's just like walking around with a mask on. And everybody's saying, well, that mask might look pretty, but what's behind the mask? So as we look at these passages over the next few weeks, I would just encourage you, put down the mask. Take it off. It's so easy. All of us probably carry one around in our back pocket. And at the right moment, we try to grab it and stick it on. It's just human nature, right? Well, let me put on my good mask here. I, I'm going to church. Let, let me, but let's, let's go to the Lord and say, Lord, let's take that off. I want to be genuine. I want to be real before you. Not because I want everybody to know all my problems. No, I want to give glory to God. Because when God transforms your life, Instead of it bringing glory to you, it now brings glory to God. When you give, not just to be seen of people, you don't have to let anybody know. Just give so that the Lord will know. And the Lord sees because He sees it all. He sees our hearts. Let's be people that are genuine people, not people that are hypocritical in our actions. Don't feel like you have to come to church and put on a show and you know, pretend to be something. Come to the Lord, submit your heart to Him, submit your actions to Him, submit your way to Him, and say, Lord, I'm yours. Please change me and make me into what you want me to be. And I promise God will do it. He'll change you. He'll help you. Don't make a show. Just give out of a genuine heart to please your Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this night. Lord, we thank you for your word that deals with something that is very personal, our finances. Lord, we know that our finances and how they're handled ultimately come from our heart, comes from our heart. I pray that we would, as believers, as followers of you, submit our will to you, and we would follow you faithfully. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.